Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you would, grab your Bibles and open up to a familiar passage to a lot of you, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Now, as I've been prepping for the sermon, as I've been thinking about it, as I have been praying for each of you that would be here, um, as I've been thinking about just the many stories that I hear from you, as I've been thinking about uh, some of the things that a lot of you have been sharing with me and talking with me about, especially in this season of life, maybe in the season of your career, maybe in the season of wherever you may find yourself, what I keep hearing over and over and over again is that many of you are exhausted. Many of you are um, restless, maybe. Many of you are stretched. Many of you are worn thin. Many of you are tired. Um, and I feel like that's just a, a, a general sense about us right now. And I don't think that that is fairly uncommon to maybe any group of people that you would gather in a room in our community. We are uh, exhausted, stretched thin, restless, anxious people. And yet we find ourselves this week uh, leading into Thanksgiving, right? It's the week of all the thankfulness. It's all the peace. It's all the, the lighting of the doves was last night, right? It's like peace and joy and love and thanksgiving and lights and all the glorious, wonderful things that come with the season that I love that I love to celebrate. In fact, I was down at the Market Street area at the lighting of the tree, and it was just hordes of stressed out, anxious people there to watch the glorious, peaceful lights, right? With fake snow covering us. So we don't have that here. But yet, often I find that walking into this season, leading into this season, thankfulness and peace are difficult to come by, aren't they? Thankfulness, thanksgiving, peace, and joy are often difficult to come by. They're not easy to walk in either, are they? They're not easy to have. They're not easy to have define you every day, all the time, are they? They often seem like these wonderful ideas that I can't quite have, or I can't quite get, or I don't experience in my everyday reality. So question, do you have peace this morning? Do you have great thanksgiving this morning as we walk into the season of our risen Lord, the season of the lighting of the doves of peace, the lighting of all the trees? Do you have a sense of thanksgiving about you this morning? Are you peaceful? Did you feel a sense of peace and unity, and harmony, and fullness when you woke up this morning? Is that in your life? Did you feel it yesterday? How do you feel about tomorrow? How do you feel about tonight? How do you feel about Thursday when family hits the door? Or how do you feel about Thursday when no family hits the door? Thanksgiving and peace it's more difficult to come by than turkey and football, isn't it? Um, it's difficult for me to come by. Maybe I'm the only one. Um, but what the Bible teaches and what we understand from the word of God is that thanksgiving and peace are not circumstantial. 
Um, Our avenues of peace and thanksgiving are not marked by the pleasures of the world. Those are fleeting. They come and go. It's not how God's peace, it's not how God's thanksgiving comes into our lives. It's not how it works. And we know that intimately, I think, as believers. I, know, I think we all know that. Some of us here, we're, we're walking through tough things right now. We're afflicted right now. Thanksgiving and peace don't mark you right now. Stress, strain, and anxiety mark you right now, maybe. Some of you are here and you're just thinking, oh, I just wish I could calm my thoughts down. That's why I came to church this morning. Some of you, are your mind is racing about all the stuff you've got to finish this week to get everything just right and just ready for all the stuff coming this week and this month, right? Some of you are just kind of freaking out. You're just trying to hold it all together. It's like you're just, you feel like you've been shot out of a cannon and you're just trying to make sure everything gets done relatively in the right time frame before you land where you're about to land, Some of you are stressed right now. You're thinking about what a friend said to you last week. And you can't shake it. And you don't have any peace about it. It keeps you up. It pierced you. It grieved you. Some of your thoughts and hearts are broken over family relationships. And they're strained and you can't stop thinking about it. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's stuff about this church. That, you just, that is stressing you, that is making you anxious. Maybe it's kids, school, classmates, classrooms, students, boardrooms. So I think we're constantly and steadily kind of afflicted by these things. And they disrupt us and they fracture us and they kind of break our lives into pieces. And seemingly we just sort of like, oh, okay, well, that's just kind of life. We just got to go about it. We'll find tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I'll find that. And so today, what I want us to look at, what I want us to dig in as we approach Thanksgiving, as we approach Christmas, as we approach all of these things, I want to say, how do we get these things? How do we get Thanksgiving and joy and peace that we sing about, that we hear about, that we long for, that we watch movies about to escape maybe our current reality of anxiousness and stress? Some of you this morning, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and you don't know Jesus, and so there is a lack of peace at a soul level in you, and there's a restlessness in you. Um, Jesus says to you this morning, if that's you, if you don't follow me, he says, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you the rest you're looking for that you don't have. He says, come after me right now. I'm the only one that can give it to you. Let's run to him. Thanksgiving and peace are difficult to come by. And I think if you're a believer in Christ this morning, I think that grieves the heart of God. That the people of God fail to actively grasp that and have it and exist in it. To act out the things that make for peace and joy. I think that grieves the heart of God. So how can we grasp it? Go to one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 23. It's one of my very favorite ones. It's the source of our peace, the source of our thanksgiving. I'm gonna read it to you in its entirety. In fact, I read it to you at the end of service last week just to prep your hearts and minds for it, though you didn't know it was coming. Here we go, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The source and peace of our thanksgiving and our peace is the nearness of our shepherd king Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches us. And when you have that peace, knowing that he has gone before us, we can easily get thanksgiving because there are endless, countless things to be thankful for in the Lord Jesus. Because we have this constant amazement that we, undeserving people, we, rebellious people, we that fill our lives with all these other things that God tells us we don't have to fret about because he's in control, yet we still do. That one still guides, loves, and directs us. That we're being forgiven by Jesus. We're being cared for by Jesus. We're being led by Jesus, by our good shepherd Jesus. We're being included at the table because of Jesus. Into this feast that he prepares before us. Is our heavenly host. And the Psalms breathe of this sense of Jesus. That he gathers for himself a people that no longer have to be swayed by the wave of circumstance to dictate our thankfulness and our peace. But the Lord Jesus, our shepherd, is guiding us and we can be anchored and rooted in that. The Psalms breathe of that sense. And that's really the greatest thing about any church. It's a group of people centered and following the Lord Jesus into this sense, this peace, this thanksgiving that overwhelms a people that though life happens, we can still follow our good shepherd. Now, is there sadness in the Psalms? You're like, does that just mean I need to be happy about everything? There's great sadness in the Psalms. They talk about very real themes, the authors of the Psalms. Here we got David, he's saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this, but he has a, 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 a lens by which it's okay because God is with me. And even gospel happiness that we find in the Bible is, is, is different because it's not circumstantial. It's, I can still be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I don't have to fear anymore because God is with me. Jesus, my good shepherd, is with me. He's guiding and leading me through dark places. His glory surrounds me. His nearness is what I long for and what I need and what captivates me. In that sense... A people following in that, a people that have grasped that, that have that, is what makes church captivating. It's what makes people want to show up to the body of Christ, 
that we together can experience and have this peace by the leading of our Lord Jesus. Peace, thanksgiving, and goodness because of Jesus. Now, along the way, we as a church, we as people, we as families, we're going to gain much and we're going to lose much. That's, I mean, that's life, right? We, we have ebbs and flows. We have ups and downs. We have hills and valleys. That's life. But if you will demand of yourself that you will stay close to Jesus, you yourself, you personally, yourself, the scripture says, if you cling to him, he says, all will be well. All will be well if you're close to him. He will make sure of it. In Psalm 23, what I love about it is that he takes us there to that heart personally. Now, we talk a lot about community. It's on one of our banners. It's worship Christ, live in community, make disciples. We love community. We're all about biblical community. We know we find tremendous joy in gospel community, right? But in Psalm 23, there's no community. It doesn't mention it. The word appears nowhere. That's not to say it's not important, but it doesn't appear anywhere. There is a singular, the singular pronouns pop up all over the place here. It's I, me, my. It's in every verse 16 times in six verses. There's an individualistic focus in this psalm, and it's not selfish. It's not narcissistic. It's actually wonderful. It's wonderful. Here's why. Because Our need for Jesus, the good shepherd, is very, very real personally. Your family and friends can't get you there. Right? One day we will face him alone. And we will need Jesus personally. Personally. And this, thinking about that dramatic moment one day when we're face to face with the living God only makes clear why we need personally right now every single minute of every day the good shepherd Jesus. At the heart of Christian faith is you and God. A sense in your heart, a sense in your mind, an understanding uh, a spirit, an overwhelming sense that you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He may have been mom's and dad's shepherd, but he's my shepherd too. And it's not the Lord was my friend's shepherd. It's not the Lord was the shepherd of my church. The Lord was the shepherd of my small group leader, community group leader, discipleship leader. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's how personal Jesus is and can be for you and I today. That's a big deal. And so today we're going to take communion at the end of the service. And we're going to receive for us personally what the Lord Jesus has done for us. His body given to us. His blood shed on the cross for us. Him raising again on the third day, defeating death for us that we may live with him forever. Now, this psalm is often called the shepherd's psalm, but it's more than that here. Verses one through four, the Lord is my shepherd. 
And therefore, in this analogy, we are the sheep, right? Um, And then he goes on in verse 5, it changes. And it says, the Lord is my host and I am his guest. Right, So he changes the theme midway through the psalm in verse 5. In an ancient culture, uh, hospitality was highly valued. It actually had social authority. Okay, And so we, what we need to see verse 5 like this. It's, it's the Lord is like this Arab sheik. And he's wealthy and he's powerful and he has lands and he has property and he has places to dine. This massive banquet table. He's this wealthy, powerful man and he welcomes into his palace a traveler and a fugitive and he shelters him from outside enemies. And he provides for this outsider the very best meal that he has. And it's an amazing one. It's an incredible meal. That's the second scenario that we have in Psalm 23. And then in verse 6, it changes dramatically again. And the Lord is the Lord God, and I am his worshiper. In verse 6, the metaphor that he talks about to help us understand what's happening is dissolved. And we enter into the reality Right? It's not just a tent or a palace, but we enter into the very temple, the presence of God, where the blood of a lamb is, is poured out, which brings sinful people into the presence of God. To be the Lord's sheep is good. It's good. He's guiding us. To be the Lord's guest is even better at his feast, at his banquet hall. But to be with him in his presence covered by the blood of the lamb is the greatest reality you and I can ever know. That produces, that reality produces joy, peace, and thanksgiving like you wouldn't believe. The biblical word for that, that we talk about, that reality, is heaven. So we're going to briefly, before we take communion, look at each movement. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, uh, not want means I don't lack. I have no lack. It doesn't mean that I don't desire anything. It doesn't mean I don't long for anything, because we're all to long and desire more of God. It just means I lack nothing. This verse is saying that because the Lord Jesus takes responsibility for me, Personally, because he is committed to me, because I am one of his sheep and he is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He is in total control. He has me. While I'm even not even thinking about him and I'm just like an aimless sheep grazing, he is looking out for me. He is caring for me. He is guiding me. He is watching out for wolves among me. Well, I'm not even thinking about him. He's thinking of me. Therefore, I'm content. I lack nothing. Yes, life's hard. Yes, life is busy. But because of Jesus, my life is now rest in motion, contented. And I know that whatever happens, he has me because Jesus is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, my translation, so I'm not freaking out anymore. The Lord is my shepherd, 
so I'm settled. The Lord is my shepherd, so I'm calm. I can face life. I can face any circumstance. I'm peaceful. I am thankful even. John chapter 1 describes it this way. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Revelation 22, listen to this. Because he is our good shepherd, because he's looking out for us, he says, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. No charge. He's got you. The Bible speaks of this abounding grace, his surpassing grace, his power, his fullness, the blessing of Christ. He is not holding out on you. The good shepherd is not holding out on you. So what we learn, what we understand as we begin to read the pages of Scripture, as we understand the Lord as our shepherd, as Jesus going before us, as he's fighting the battles that we cannot fight, small thoughts of God, trivial thoughts of God are nowhere to be found in the Bible. You cannot find small thoughts of God. Incremental little life helps. His help, his presence, his peace is pervasive and it's life-altering. Christ is more than enough for all that we need forever, far beyond all that we can ever ask or even think. In Psalm 23, is saying you can have all of him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm going to be okay. Now, how do we know if we've lost our way? When we stop feeling cared for, when we stop feeling thankful, when we start feeling overlooked and abandoned and we blame God, an angry heart treats Jesus as if he doesn't exist. And he creeps in and other shepherds begin to steal us away. So the Lord plus my career plus money plus anything makes us lose our way and lose our focus on the one true shepherd. Because what we're really saying is career, family, money, whatever we fill in that blank, that's my shepherd. And I'm going to follow that to its very ends. But the only real shepherd is the risen Christ. So the way to let go, the way back is to let go of all those other false realities. All those other false hopes that cannot fulfill, cannot satisfy. So maybe the question this morning for many of you is, what do we need to let go of or empty ourselves of, like Zach said, as we are worshiping? One of the, that's one of the great themes. I love that movie, Lord of the Rings. I think one of the great themes strung throughout that whole film or the whole book series if you're a reader rather than the film person, is this precious golden ring that just owns you and it has power and it has authority and it's great and it was crafted and when it gets you, all you can think about is just keeping it. And the ultimate way to really be free from it is having to let it go. Having to let it go. 
second movement, verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so now the Lord goes from shepherd and he goes to host and now we are his guest. Now I wish the second part wasn't true about this. But if you love the Lord, the Bible is always very real in its estimation of what goes on. We will have enemies in this world. The Bible says all that who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And so what this is saying, though, why this is so hope-filled, this is telling us, church, this is amazing, that any opposition that comes against you cannot block the Lord's support for you. Any opposition that barrels down against you, the Lord can always get through. He always has a way of getting through, no matter how powerful and overwhelming it may seem. Jesus always has a way to get to you, even in the presence of his enemies. I was reminded of a story as I was thinking about this. Corey Ten Boom uh, has a wonderful autobiography. She was a Dutch woman, a mighty woman of God. During World War II, her family was sheltering Jewish people from the Nazis to make sure they weren't captured and eventually killed. And Corey and her family were eventually caught doing this, sheltering uh, Jews from Nazis coming in, raiding homes from house to house. And she and her family and her sister were put in a Nazi concentration camp. And her and her sister are there in this terrible place, fearful, not knowing what will happen. But the guards in her camp, in her barracks, there were many all over, but in her particular barrack with her sister would not enter her barracks because her barracks with her and her sister were so infested with fleas. Fleas everywhere. And the guards didn't want to walk in because they didn't want to get fleas. And so Corey... And the other prisoners here were given space. They were given time. And Corey, her most precious prized possession as they took her from her home, was a small little New Testament Bible that she smuggled into this concentration camp amongst her things. She opened this Bible in this flea-infested barracks and began studying the scriptures and hoping and praying and teaching people about the Lord Jesus in a Nazi concentration camp, she did this. And they would pray and they would worship and they would tell others about the Lord Jesus and all that he had done, the cross, their hope of heaven, that God has not forsaken them, though they feel forsaken. And they could stay alive because of the fleas. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's crazy. The fleas controlled the Nazis. The fleas. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And Corey and her sister prayed and thanked God for the fleas. If Jesus is wonderful to you, people will resent you. And when they thrust you out, Jesus will take you in, even in the presence of your enemy. And he will care for you. And it may be in ways that you didn't imagine or you didn't think, but he will care for you. He will. 
There was a time that I did not feel loved by God. Now I do, praise God. And I don't really know how I got from here to here necessarily. I don't know, I don't know what the Lord did or how he got me there. I can't explain it. But all I know is for some reason he took me in. God did that. A wealthy host sheltered a desperate fugitive that had no business dining at that table. That's my story. And he made my cup overflowing. That's very personal to me. But that is not exclusive to me. That is not exclusive to me. Many, many, many of us can tell of Jesus' personal care for us. He can do this for you. Psalm 23 is our doorway back to the presence of the Lord for thankfulness and joy and the peace that he so desires for his people to experience in reality because he goes before us. He prepares the table even when things are bearing down on us and we don't feel it. He is the one that lays the greatest spread before us even in the presence of our enemies. And we can't get there any other way by he himself taking us in. And so maybe you've, never, maybe you've never asked him that you could be part of that table. He loves to answer that prayer. He loves to invite desperate fugitives that are undeserving like me at his banquet feast because he is worthy even when we are not. That prayer has changed countless lives. Finally, verse 6 as we close, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is not our goodness, it is not our mercy, it is his. It is his. He is the Lord God, I am his worshiper. Verse 6 is his Old Testament way of saying what we're used to saying, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, because he holds us. And right now, all along the way, all along the path, his goodness and his mercy, not his wrath, will keep pursuing you. It follows us. The metaphor isn't that we're out walking and God is following closely behind us. The metaphor is even when we're walking the wrong way, he still pursues us and redirects and brings us back into his mercy and his goodness. The Lord does not wait for his worshipers to come to him. He goes out, he finds them, he brings them in until there is no more shadows of death, until there are no more enemies, until there is no more impulse to wander off because we are grounded and rooted in the reality of his love, mercy, and joy. And here's the good thing we love about Jesus, our shepherd, our host, and our God. That no matter how far we run from him, he can outrun us. His pursuit is faster than our best running. Amen? <laughs> That's the greatest news ever. That's what we love about him. That he'll come find us. That he is faithful. His goodness his mercy. And that's why the Bible can say this. Listen to this. I am sure of this. Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this. That he 
who began a good work in you will, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus our Lord. The Lord is our shepherd, church. We're going to be okay. He has us. He knows you. He's with you. He's guiding you. And he's calling you back. And when you run, he's coming after you. His pursuit is faster than our running. Jesus is our good shepherd. Now, I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, the band's going to come up. And we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And we're going to receive his body and his blood shed for us. And we're going to receive our good shepherd, Jesus, that he's done all the work that which we could not do on our own. He's invited us to the feast. He hosts the feast. And he's called us by name to be partakers in it because of the work of our risen Lord Jesus. Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God that chases us down, that pursues us. We thank you that you are our good shepherd, that you care for us, that you call us your own. Even when we are just wandering about in the field, Lord, you are watching out for us. We thank you that you are the great host and you've called us into a meal that we were not even deserving to sit at the table, but because of our great host, he has sheltered us even in the presence of our enemies. And Lord, we thank you that you have invited us into the living reality of our Lord Jesus, the temple of the living God, by his shed blood, by his body given for us. And that in him, that when we taste and see that the Lord is good, that in him it produces in us abounding thanksgiving, abounding peace, and abounding joy that seems so fleeting in this world that we try to find it in. Lord, help us find it in you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come take the Lord's Supper if you're a believer in Christ this morning when you're ready.